Welcome, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode of Going Deeper. This is where we sit down and we get to do a little Q&A, take a little bit deeper of a look at our sermons here at Mount Rainier Christian Center. Um, thank you for joining us, and we have Pastor Greg here with us as well. So uh, let's go ahead and get started. Let's so we're going to be talking about uh, the sermon One Way, yeah. and it's tempting to think that there are multiple paths that all lead us to God, but there is truthfully only one way, Jesus. And that's the topic of this sermon that we heard about a, a few weeks ago. Now we're going to be going a bit deeper into that today. So question number one here for us, in the beginning of the sermon, yeah. it's mentioned that all religions or spiritualities don't lead to him mm-hmm. and that some actually lead away from him forever. Yeah. That thought of leading away from him forever is interesting. Could you explain what that means to be led away from God permanently? Yeah. Well, you know, God has a a heart, a mind, a personality, just like we do. We're made in his image. And so there are things which fit his heart and personality and things that don't. And, you know, if, if, if the teaching about him contradicts who he really is that creates distance between us would be like if you were in a relationship and you were sort of pretending to be one person but you weren't you're actually another person um and so you know when a when a faith contradicts jesus and not all do at all points right but when they do then we're not gaining by experiencing that we're actually putting distance between us and god and of course ultimately in the end um you know jesus teaches us there's a judgment there's a separation of of the good from from the evil you know uh, among people and so ultimately that separation is an eternal one which is why you know we share the gospel yeah of course Mm -hmm. absolutely so uh next in our world today we are taught you know that there's more than one way to skin a cat is the Mm -hmm. phrase and speaking from personal experience as well you know, we tend to value this flexibility that Absolutely. comes from having multiple ways to accomplish a Absolutely. goal. Um, what is God looking to help us avoid or to experience by only having one way? Yeah, well, you know, what he wants us to experience is the goodness of who he really is, okay? So if if a faith, I'll just use an example, it's a generalization and a broad one, but if, if for example, in the tradition of karma, a, a person is suffering because they are quote-unquote, working off bad karma, right? So therefore, the, the idea is that we don't interfere, we don't help them because they need to work it off. Well, that that's an inaccurate representation of who God is, ultimately, yeah. right? So, um, you know, when we know that what he wants to do is get us to acknowledge our bad karma, <laughs> repent of it, right, and then grow in a new direction, well, that's who he really is, and that's what he really wants, So that's why it's so crucial that we understand that ultimately uh, God has, you know, aspects which are set, you know, his merciful nature, his compassionate nature, his holy nature is. So uh, if if we are taught something else, we're not getting to know him. You know, I think of an example, you know, uh, when my wife and I were courting, I was in the Marine Corps, right? And, And she would talk to her friends and say, well, this guy I'm dating is in the Marines. And they immediately had a host of expectations about who I would be. Um, and Rhonda would say, no, no, you got to meet him because 
he may be, you know, in the Marines, but his personality isn't the stereotype. Well, that's why, uh, that's how a faith can lead us away from God or towards God. And, and ultimately, you know, the answer to the question, what is God like? Who is he? What does he think? What does he feel? The answer is Jesus, right? That's the answer. Uh, I do want to take a moment though, just on that note, Brent, to point out again, as we said in the message, you know, to be a Christian doesn't mean to reject everything in every other faith. Yeah. Um, wherever other faiths say are saying the same thing, we rejoice. We celebrate. That's awesome. Yes, absolutely. But as you get to know this person more, this person being God, as you get to know him more and more and more and more and more, right, then you know, there's more and more and more specificity in that relationship. My wife and I've been married 40 years. We know each other pretty well, a lot more than we did when we were five years, yes. right? Yeah. So there you go. And with that, there's also this idea that maybe what we're seeking, the the different things that we're seeking by looking for these different ways are all there yes. in God. That's very good. Mm-hmm. But it's that, as you said, the the more we get to know him, the more we hone in on, on the specificities that also come with that. Yeah, no, that's a great point. Uh, you know, my uncle has a, a brilliant saying. He, he says, God is not less than your highest ideal. It, so all the things we think we want in him, they're there. But there are things we think we want that when we get to know him, we realize we wanted to be a little different than we thought, right? Because we're growing. Of course. So he's the fixed point of reference. And we, as we learn and grow, you know, we orient to that. Yes, absolutely. Okay. So uh, another thing we heard, you know, is that this, the, the essence of the Christian faith of our faith centers around the fact that when we see Jesus, we see God. Yeah. Uh, his deity. And, you know, many of us have learned that, that God is three distinct, separate persons, persons, Mm -hmm. one God. Does this idea that when we see Jesus, we're seeing God, does this mean that Jesus is the most complete person of God? Yeah. The most complete. So biblically, the most complete revelation of God, right? So John's gospel is going to start, you know, in the beginning was the word, the word is with God, the word was God. So Jesus is called the word, the logos of God, the self-expression of God. Now, does God express himself in a beautiful starry night? Absolutely. Does he express himself in an ocean sunlit you, sunset? You bet. Does he express himself in the personality of your dog when they love you? Absolutely. All this is real, but then it reaches its fullness. As you said, it's complete, it's wholeness in this man, Jesus. Yeah, I see. Um, and so then is there any sort of, you know, I hesitate to maybe to use the word hierarchy within the Trinity, <laughs> but is there any sort of, uh, preeminence preeminence yeah. there or is it just that to us as our beings yeah. Jesus is the one that is the most complete it's a great question and we can answer it in a technical theological way or practical way or both so let me try to do both first of all in terms of what the the first century believers uh theologians would call his his substance okay yes. the father son and the holy spirit are co-equal if we use all this technical yes. language but you know so when we see jesus we are seeing all of god right when we experience the father we're experiencing all of god the spirit same thing with the spirit so um you know there's that fullness in our experience of him um while all three persons of the Trinity are co-equal, right? Our experience of him on a human level is distinct. 
and and therein lies some of the significance of the Trinity, right? Yes. Uh, I think C.S. Lewis put this marvelously. He said, and and it's just a tool to use. So this is not an a, a expression of orthodox doctrine, but uh, the idea is that God the Father is kind of the God in front of you, you mm-hmm. know. God the Son is kind of the God alongside you, and God the Spirit is kind of the God behind you. He's he's a yes. presence. He's there, but he's harder to to see in mm-hmm. our traditional means. So, yeah, I mean, uh, there's no preeminence. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are are one, but there is a distinction in our experience of each of the three members of the Trinity, and that's on purpose. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, this next one's a fun subject. Yeah, um, a, a much brought up subject many of us have heard over and over the reminder that what we say and controlling our tongue is very Mm. important yeah right uh and you shared your experience learning this for the first time as a new believer yeah you know the idea is that scripture tells us that men and women will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every careless word they have spoken Yeah, jesus's words so here's sort of the question why is our language such a big deal that's a great question Language is how we express ourselves to one another. Okay. You know, a tree is indifferent to language, right? The, yep. the old, this, you know, nature is largely indifferent to our language, but to each other, language is critical. Um, and so also, Jesus is going to say, the mouth speaks what the heart is full of, right? So my language is not so much a tool I use to control or manipulate. It is an expression of who I am. (laughs) Um, And what comes out of my mouth, what I choose to allow out of my mouth, is a revelation of who I am. So in the same way that Jesus is the word of God, right? God's self-expression, God's speaking. So to, you know, um, our words are our souls made apparent to each other. Uh, And that can either be, you know, a, a blessing or not. It can be something that edifies and helps and builds up other people, or it can be something that tears them down, injures and hurts them. So, you know, kind of in our culture, the idea is sticks and stones may break my bones. Words can never hurt me. God disagrees. God says the words are a big, big deal. And, and then finally, the second part of that biblically would be that God teaches us in James that, you know, my tongue directs my life. It guides my life. It's like the rudder on a ship or it's like the reins that you use to guide a horse. We would say today, the steering wheel on your car, the GPS on your, right? So, um, if, if we want to gain control of our lives, if we perceive that areas of our lives are out of our control, maybe it's addiction, maybe it's temper, maybe it's greed, maybe it's lust, whatever it is. God says that the first step is to get control of your tongue. And lots of people say, no, that's the last step. Well, God says it's the first step. He says, if you'll start there. So I, I like to teach people, you know, classic Christian disciplines, like the discipline of silence, where you practice silence for a time because it makes us aware of the significance of our language. And then we can uh, discover how profoundly our lives gain control, self-control when we control our tongues. It's, it's really an amazing, it, it was mind blowing for me as a young believer to watch how dramatically my, my moods, my temper, my attitude changed when I changed my language. 
And I wouldn't have guessed that beforehand, but God said it, I did it. And then I experienced it. I was like, wow, God, right. You're right. Yeah. So anyway, absolutely. I'm sure we all know someone that we wish would practice the discipline (laughs) of silence, Um, (laughs) but uh, an excellent answer. Now, some follow-ups yeah. because this is a, this is a very wide reaching topic that, that many of us are constantly struggling with and, and wanting to know more about. So you, you mentioned this, uh, you know, controlling your tongue, right? And, and in scripture, it says on the day of judgment for every careless word they've spoken. So what if someone said, I don't use off color language carelessly. I use it very pointedly and never to degrade someone or to take the Lord's name in vain. Yeah, there's certainly a place for language that we might call harsh in a godly context. Um, But, uh, you know, what Jesus teaches us when he says, if you say to your brother, you fool, you're in danger of the fires of hell. What the Lord is saying is, yeah, that's true, Greg, but you're not smart enough to make that distinction. Okay. (laughs) So he comes along and says, you know, watch out for that. Now, you know, uh, sarcasm, satire, uh, you know, or rebuke in language. Absolutely. There's a time for that. Yeah. Uh, and obviously God does that. He, he knows when and how sometimes we do. But what I would say is that must come with the greatest care and, and, uh, you know, reverence and fear, (laughs) you know, because Jesus says that if I, if I mock you, you know, with denigrating language, he says that's that's worthy of eternal separation from God. That's worthy of hell. Yeah. And um, you know, so I, I may say, Brent, you know, I may I may talk to you like my Marine Corps drill instructor yeah. talked to me, but um, but I always must do that from a desire for the best for you. And the of course, what we're contrasting this against is the fact that in in our day and age today, right, that's not the case so mm-hmm. often with our language. Mm-hmm. Our language is used carelessly. Very carelessly. Our language is used specifically to harm. Yeah. Um, you know, even putting, you know, cuss words out of the equation, those that's right. a whole separate thing. Right. But yeah. um, you know, I, I remember times where, especially early on in our marriage, there were times where my wife and I are arguing and I would say something that I specifically knew maybe wasn't going to be beneficial for resolving the conflict, but I knew was, even if it was partially truth or mostly truth, would hurt her. And that was the reason why I said yeah, it. Yeah. And that's sort of the heart behind it, right, is the idea. It there. is. It is. And, um, you know, I think maybe to kind of capture this thought and tie it up, you know, the Bible tells us in James, if any man considers him any person, if any person considers themselves religious, that is spiritual, that is mm-hmm. God, and yet doesn't keep a tight rein on their tongue, they deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. That is sobering, yeah. right? Um, and then just kind of a little human wisdom, I might add, uh, I was struck by a quote I read some years ago and he says, if somebody tells you that they love the blunt truth and are always quick to speak it it's because in fact they love bluntness more than truth and uh i've also heard it that people who are um who claim to be brutally honest are more concerned with the brutality than than the honesty honesty, yes some more way to say it uh all right fantastic this brings us to sort of our, our last question for this episode and to one of the last points in the message where we hang on this idea that the only cure for our sin is forgiveness from God. Yeah. Um, you know, some people might claim that they never wanted to offend God in the first place and might argue that it seems like we're given no choice because mm. of our sinful nature. 
So how is it that we can need forgiveness for something we wish we never had to deal with? Would it be similar to someone who was born blind needing to be forgiven for not seeing someone and bumping into them? This all seems counter to what the world tells us about fault and blame. No, that's a great question, Brennan. It's a penetrating and discerning one. So to just kind of pan back on this subject, you know, James tells us that there's two kinds of sin. There's what we call sins of commission, where we do something wrong, sins of omission, where we don't do something right. Well, God's standards for omission are very high. Uh, and let me give a real world example. So if, uh, if I know that the, that we're going to have several families over to our house for an evening and, and there's going to be a half a dozen toddlers, you know, or small children, uh, we would put protectors in the sockets so that they're not right. We would move sharp stuff, breakable stuff. We might arrange the house. If we didn't do that, that's an indictment. Yeah. Okay. So, um, what we have to understand about sin and repentance is that God's standard is so high, you know, um, you know, if I don't maintain the brakes on my car and then I have an accident, God says, Greg, that's on you. You know, um, at the end of the day, what God is looking for is for us to change our attitude, to adopt an attitude of humility towards him and to say, you know, God, I need to learn. I need to learn a lot. I need to grow a lot. And repentance is that it's that attitude. It's that it's not so much that we say, I'm sorry I did that and I'll never do it again. That's part of it. But even more importantly, it's saying, God, I need you to father me. I need you to parent me. I need to be taught. I need to grow. And so um, when we take into account both sins of omission and commission, it's a whole different ballgame because the question isn't just, did I ever do anything bad? The question is, have I given my utmost to doing everything good? And then the, then you're looking at a different story. So. And that's where we can we can look and see that we fall utterly short of that. And that uh, I do. None of us. Yeah. Yes, as well. <laughs> and none of us are capable of that. Right. Only one ever has been. And that's Jesus. Right. Um, but the amazing thing is, you know, once we enter into an attitude of repentance, gosh, it has power to correct us far beyond anything. Yes. Intentional. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. All right. Fantastic. Uh, to close out the show. Yeah. If you could leave folks with one short encouragement or reminder to focus on from this sermon, what what would you yeah. say? You know, everybody in their heart at one time or another wants to know who God is, what's he like, right? Jesus says, I'm that. You listen to me, watch me, uh, hear what I'm saying and watch what I'm doing. And you will learn more about God from that than from anything else you experience. Uh, fantastic. Well, that is all, folks. Greg, thank you for thank sharing you. with us. And thank you for joining us and for watching on another episode of Going Deeper. 